Father in heaven, thank you so much for the wonderful week that you granted to all of us. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us safely to this time that we can come and study together once more. And Lord, as we're looking at our last parable in this series, I just pray that you would please guide us once more. Lead us as you have in the past with your Holy Spirit. Speak to our hearts, O Lord, and guide us, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray and ask. Amen. Our parable for this evening is entitled The Sheep and the Goats. And so it's also the final parable in this mini-series that we've been looking at in Matthew 24 and 25. It started off with that faithful versus the evil servant. And then we looked at the parable of the ten virgins. Five were wise, five were foolish. Then we looked at the servants who were given talents. One was given five, one was given two, one was given one, right? And this evening we're looking at the parable of the sheep and the goats. And remember, these four parables all are about helping us to be ready for the second coming of Jesus, to watch and to pray and to be ready. And these parables, they're time-specific. They're pointing to the times that we're living in today, and they're most relevant to our time because that's the time of the second coming. So really, from the time as to when Jesus ascended, no man knows the day or the hour when Jesus would come, right? So all these parables have only been relevant from that time onwards, but especially our time, because Jesus is still not here. And so we are still waiting for his second coming. And these are the lessons that we're seeing in the parables about what we can learn in order to watch, to be wait, to wait, and to be ready. So with that, let's jump into our first text for this evening found in Matthew 25, 31 to 33. The Bible says, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. So how does this parable begin? What event is being described here? Of course, this is none other than the second coming of Jesus. There's no doubt about what this event is. All the theologians, all the pastors would agree that this definitely is the second coming. When the Son of Man, referring to Jesus, shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him. So Jesus, He's coming and He's sitting on a throne. He's coming as King. He is coming as a judge to all the nations to judge every single person. And so this is a time that the sheep and the goats, they'll be separated one from the other. And remember, the, 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 when, we, when we were looking at these parables, these parables have been representing those in the church, right? The faithful and the, the, the evil servants, and then all the ten virgins are the same. And then we see what? The, the servants had all received the talent each, but now we see the sheep and the goats. And there is a distinction, there is a difference, even though to the untrained eye, a sheep and a goat might look very much the same, but they're not. But the sheep... They represent the righteous people, the good people that will be saved, and the goats represent those that are unrighteous that will be lost. And we'll see this in a minute. 
But you see, in this text, we see that the sheep are placed where? They're placed on the right hand of Jesus. The sheep on the right, the goats on the left. And this is also of great significance as well. What does right hand represent? Let's go to another text. Isaiah 41 and verse 10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. So on the right hand of God, or his right hand, it represents righteousness. And so as he places the sheep to his right, this is the group that have lived a righteous life. And of course, friends, we're not about to go into righteousness by works versus righteousness by faith. I don't believe in righteousness by works. We can't work our way to heaven. Absolutely not. But is there a need for us to be righteous today? Absolutely. And so those that are on the right hand of Jesus are those that are righteous. They have done right. And we can only be right or righteous by faith. But you know, coming back to the sheep and the goat, it's very interesting that really there are just minor differences between the two. As I said, to the untrained eye, you would not know the difference. And for me, I would not. I had to go and research how to know the difference between a sheep and a goat. You know, they look very, very similar. They come from the same family group, okay? But they say the easiest way actually to tell the difference between a sheep and a goat is to look at its tail. Did you know that? Is to look at its tail. I, I had to research this online, but you see, the, the difference between the sheep and the goat is the sheep, the tail, it always goes up. It always points up. Pardon me. The, the sheep's tail always goes down. I'm wrong, I'm wrong. The sheep's tail always goes down. The goat's tail always points up. But not just that. They say that the goat almost always has horns and it comes up at the top. But the, 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 goat, the sheep, they hardly have horns. And if they do, it comes out the side. All right. And then sheep, they, they're, even though they're from the same family group, their hair is different. So the goat have hair while the sheep have wool. It's woolly and it's round, but the sheep have very flat. It's like, you know, hair. I don't have any, but, you know, it lays down flat. So it's very, very different. And to the untrained eye, many of us would not understand the difference. I always thought that a goat was the male and the sheep was the female. I was absolutely wrong. They are just different altogether. It's not, the, it's not a male or female thing. No, they're different animal. They are, but they are very, very similar. So the distinction between these two groups are a little bit more pronounced than the previous three parables that we we're looking at. The wise versus the evil servant were serving the same master. The ten virgins, they were all virgins. And then the servants that receive the talents, they all receive talents. But now we see that there's a little bit more separation, a bit more separation between the sheep and the goat, the righteous and the unrighteous. However, both will grow together until the end of time. And it's only at the second coming that Jesus will be the one that will separate them. It's just like that parable of the wheat and the tares. The servant said, oh, should we go pluck up those weeds, those tares? And the master said, no, let both grow together 
until the end of time, and then I will be the one that will separate them. And so we're seeing that exact same thing repeat here now in the parable of the sheep and the goats. But what is it that actually sets these two groups apart? What is the actual difference according to the parable? Of course, this sheep and goat represent us, but what is the actual difference between these two? Let's start by looking at the sheep first, shall we? Let's go to Matthew 25 and start there in verse 34 all the way to 40. And this is talking about the sheep, those that are righteous, those that are at the right hand of Jesus. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was unhungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. Um, I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick in prison, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. You see, the sheep, they, they said, well, well, Jesus says to them, Look, you, you fed me, you clothed me, you gave me drink. And the people are like, When did we do that? When did we do that for you, Jesus? He said, Unto the least of these my brethren. Those that were living on earth, you did it to them, you did it to me. So, Jesus is found represented in those that are in need. You know, look at this list. Look at this list that we've just read here in Matthew 25. What was the reason that Jesus gave? I was hungry. You gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me water to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. You housed me. I was naked and you gave me clothes to wear. I was sick and you came and visited me. I was in prison and you came and visited me there also. You see, friends, this sounds like community service, doesn't it? Doing good works to others that are in need. And so this is really important for us to understand because what's in common with all of them is that they are in need. You see, the big difference between helping those that are in need and just feeding a friend or giving them water to drink when they're thirsty after they played a game of basketball or they finished playing frisbee or whatever it is, there's a big difference. You know, your friend that left their water behind and, you know, they just forgot. There's a big difference between that to a person who is literally starving and they haven't eaten for days and they need something to eat. Or giving water to someone that has no water and they really need water to drink. There's no clean water, maybe. You see, those that are in need, it is an urgent case. It's important because if they were to survive without, go without this, they might die. Those that are sick, you came and visited me. I was in prison and you came. I was, felt like I was without hope. I was lost. Do you see that? And there is this big difference that we have to keep in mind in comparison to those that are just your friends and you're just feeding them. 
inviting them to come and eat with you for lunch or for dinner. That's more like doing a favor for people just because they're your friend, you like them. But being hospitable to your friends is a big difference to being hospitable to those that are in need and cannot pay you back. It's not like you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. No, it's not since you invited me for dinner, I'll invite you over for dinner. Uh, you, you owe me a favor or I owe you a favor. You know, it's not about that. These are the people that are in need that really need help and cannot pay us back. Helping those that are in need that have nothing to give back to you except a word of thanks. And so these works, they are highlighted. This is something that can be seen with our own eyes. It's not that we are saved by works, but there is a reason that this actual physical works is mentioned. It's really important for us to understand this. Works don't save us, but a person that has absence of these good works, it reveals something deeper that's happening in our heart. You see, what sets this group of people apart from the goat? What is the reason that these people have good actions? And it'll help us to understand the reverse for the goats who actually have no good actions at all. Let's go to another text found in 1 John 3.16. This is not John 3.16, but 1 John 3.16. The Bible says this, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. You see, friends, when we understand the love of God and we are filled with His love in our hearts, then we will understand what it means to lay down our lives for those around us, just as Jesus laid down His life for us. But of course, is Jesus expecting us to sacrifice like He did? To really sacrifice our own life? Of course not, right? That's, that's not what He's trying to say here. But it's like, look, when it comes to love, there is some sort of sacrifice involved. How do we actually lay down our lives for our brethren, for others? Let's keep reading in 1 John. So we read verse 16. Now let's read verse 17 to 18. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother hath need, have what? Have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and truth. You see, John asks, if you see your brother in need and you don't help him, how can we think that the love of God is dwelling in us? You see, if the love of God is dwelling in each of our hearts, then it will be found in what? self sacrificial service in helping those that are in need. That's exactly what Matthew 25 was talking about in regards to the sheep. I was hungry, you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I, I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and I was in prison and you visited me. This is physical works. But what is the actual foundation of all of this? It is love to them and it is love to God. They understand the great love that Jesus had for them. And as a result, they are filled with His love and love for others around them as well. 
You see, friends, love is best expressed in sacrifice. Just go look at a mother. She is filled with love for her children. And she will do anything, sacrifice her sleep, sacrifice her time, sacrifice her career in some ways, right? Sacrifice so much to make sure that her children are clothed, are fed, are healthy, are sleeping well, doing all sorts of things. Love is best expressed in self-sacrificial works, self-sacrifice for others. When you just love yourself and sacrifice for yourself, that's not true love. That's selfishness, right? So look, it's not that the sheep, they're saved by works. They're not. But it's their works that are revealing what? The deep love that they have for God and for all those around them. You know, the Bible says what? What is the greatest commandment? Love God. And the second is like to itself, love your neighbor as yourself. And so that's exactly what we are seeing here with a sheep. But what we're seeing also is what? The law of God is written in their hearts. Because the Ten Commandments, the first four is love to God. And the last six, love to man. Friends, we will never be able to understand and know how to love our fellow men and women, fellow human beings, that those are in need around us, until we learn to love God, for God is love. If we wish to have that love, we need Him in our hearts and in our lives. So this love is best expressed in self-sacrificing labor for others. But now, let's have a look at the goats, all right? Here's the contrast that we see in Matthew 25. So let's go back there. Let's keep reading about the sheep and the goats, but especially the goats. It's found in verse 41. Matthew 25, 41 to 46. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, that's the goats, depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was unhungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me not. Sick and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto life eternal. Friends, this almost sounds verbatim exactly the same as a sheep, but in the negative. The sheep did all this, 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 and this. The goats did not do all this, 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 and this. It was the same list, meaning the goats are really the exact opposite to the sheep. They're exact opposite. There's nothing, they look the same, but there's nothing alike about them. Their their works are in total opposite direction to each other. They don't do any good works at all. And so even though the sheep and the goat, they look alike, even though they're from the same family group, they really are opposites. They are nothing like each other at all in works. 
And did you know, friends, that the sheep and the goat, they are both used in the sanctuary services, meaning these two groups of people, they are in the church. They are both Christians. And so if if the sheep are motivated by love to do all these good works, to do all these good deeds, it means that the goats, they don't have the love of Jesus abiding in their hearts at all. They may go to church, but they don't love Jesus. They, they may profess to be Christians, but they don't have the love of Christ abiding in their hearts. Friends, this is pretty serious. How could it be that two groups in the church, but yet only one has the love of God abiding in their hearts? It's possible, friends. It is possible to have this formal religion and not really have Jesus, His love, abiding in our hearts. Friends, how could that be? How could it be? And how can we make sure that we don't come to that point today to make sure that the love of God is abiding in each of our hearts? Because really, that is the dividing line between the sheep and the goats. But the reason we know that is because it's expressed in action. One loves Jesus and has his love. And the reason why we know that is because they're doing all these good works for their fellow human beings, for their brothers and sisters, those that are in need. And the other, they don't have the love of Jesus in their hearts. And, it's, and we know that because they're not doing all these things. Jesus said, you didn't feed me. You didn't clothe me. You didn't come and visit me. You didn't give me a drink. You didn't do all these works. And the reason is because you don't love me. But friends, How can we make sure that we have the love of God abiding in our hearts today? Let's go to Galatians 5 and verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. But of course, we're focusing on that first one. The fruit of the Spirit is love, and the fruit of love is found in self-sacrificial labor for our brothers and our sisters out there. You see, if we have the Holy Spirit abiding in our hearts, friends, we will have the love of God abiding there too. Which means, if the Holy Spirit is abiding in our hearts, there we will be found doing good works, just like the sheep. It will not just be lip service. We'll be found loving, not in tongue only, but in deed and in truth and in action. We'll see it all there, and others will be able to see it as well. But let's keep going, not just in Galatians, but look at this, Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Hope maketh not ashamed. Why? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. How? By the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. It is the Holy Ghost that gives us the love of God. Here's another text. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth, through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Friends, it is only as we have the Holy Ghost can we learn to understand what it really means to love each other. It is impossible to love if we do not have the Holy Spirit. 
It is impossible to love because the presence of the Holy Spirit abiding in our hearts is the presence of God and God is love. Friends, this is the central core of the Christian. Without the Holy Spirit, our whole Christian life is lived in vain. And so you can understand now and see the importance of praying for the Holy Spirit. Praying for the Holy Spirit will enrich your marriage will enrich your relationship, will enrich the relationships you have with other people, not just with your spouse or your boyfriend and your girlfriend. Why? Because He will give you love. He will give you sacrifice. He will help you to understand what it means to serve God. He will give you a different perspective on what it means to be even a worker, not just in God's vineyard, but even in the world. He'll make you a better worker. He'll make you a better student. We'll understand because the foundation of all of it is love. But it's not just works in general. This is self-sacrificial works for others. But you know, friends, what's interesting? We've studied about the Holy Spirit already in this series of four parables. Do you remember which one it was? It was the parable of the ten virgins. Let's go back and revisit this real quick. Matthew 25, 1-4 Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise, five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. Friends, we already know what that oil represents. It is the Holy Ghost. And actually, you know, if we go back one more parable, the parable of the wise servant versus the wicked servant. The wise servant gave meat in due season. They were found preaching and teaching the word of God. Their faith was being built up and they were building the faith of others around them. And we know that faith works by love. That's Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6. But then we come to the parable of the ten virgins, and they had that oil and the extra oil. They were praying continually for the Holy Ghost. And then the parable of the ten, the, the talents, pardon me, the servants were all given talents, but one of them, they just went and hid it in the earth and didn't go and trade it so that they could multiply it. But you know, this parable, the parable of the sheep and the goats, it shows that the way we trade and use our talents to multiply is not enough just to do it for ourselves, for the benefiting of our own selves. No, it's not good enough. We must use our talents in a self-sacrificial way for others. To be a blessing to others, not just for ourselves. To help others, not just so that we can live a more comfortable life, but to help especially those that are in need. And if we have the Holy Spirit abiding in our hearts, we will have the love of God abiding there too. And the love of God will inspire us to be a blessing to others. It is, friends, the love of God that motivates us to sacrifice. That's how we know whether we truly have the Holy Spirit or not. Some have a spirit but it's not holy. We need to be careful that we don't deceive ourselves into thinking that coming to church once a week and and, uh, just being there and present is sufficient. God, 
He's not just judging us by our hearts. He actually judges us by what we do because the actions reveal what we're thinking and feeling inside, you see. His judgment is plain and simple and clear to everybody. We don't have to be scratching our heads going, what is God's criteria? He's already told us. And at the end, all we need to do is look at the mirror and we can judge for ourselves whether we are in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ or not. And so really this evening, it's not really about have you been going to church every week? Because many of us, we've made a tradition of going to church before. If you've listened to me long enough, you know that I don't believe in going to church will save you and that's it. Our works will tell a lot about where we are in our status and our relationship with Jesus and whether His love is abiding in our hearts. But that is what saves us. It's His grace. It's His love. It's faith. And we can't see that. But what we can see is whether we are self-sacrificial for others, especially those in need. All we need to do is have a look at our works. You know, it's easy to say, you know, stand up even in church. How many of you love God? How many of you believe that you're in a, a saving relationship with Jesus? And maybe all the hands could go up. But it might not be true. We might even be deceived ourselves, friends. We've got to be so careful with this, right? So how do we know whether we really love today or not? It's revealed in our works. The foundation is our faith and our love to God. But the outward revelation of His love is found in self-sacrificial works. All we need to do, friends, is look at the cross. That was love epitomized. It was love at the greatest level. There was no other way that God could have loved us more. That is the greatest expression of His love for you and for me. But you see, friends, I want to have a look at this topic of sacrifice for a second. What does it mean to really sacrifice? What is sacrifice all about? You see, when we need to sacrifice something, usually we've got to think about it long and hard. We've got to sit there and we've got to pray about it. We've got to maybe write out all the pros and cons on a whiteboard. Or maybe we've got to go to people to get counsel. You know, we really put much thought into it before just going out and doing it, to, to sacrifice. It really becomes a struggle to us. And that's what sacrifice is. It really, we, we struggle with it. That's sacrifice. It really eats into our budget, maybe takes away from our sleep. It takes effort to cook every week for people or having to visit that sick person every single day. You have to change maybe your normal routine. Life is not as usual, right? The schedule is off whack. That's sacrifice, friends. And you know, I want to show you a picture of Jesus' sacrifice. It wasn't actually right there at the cross. we got to go back to the Garden of Gethsemane. He really struggled. His humanity really in him struggled against sacrificing his own life. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, we get a little bit of an insight into this struggle of His sacrifice. Let me show you. Luke 22, 42-44. Jesus is speaking here saying, Father, if Thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, 
but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. This was Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. He was praying this prayer, a prayer that he would go back and forth and and pray three times to have this cup removed from him. He really did not want to die on the cross and to drink the wrath of God that will be poured upon sinners at the end of time. This was just before he'll be taken off and crucified. He had the power to destroy all those murderers that would come and and arrest him and those that he would have to stand before in in Pilate's judgment hall and even before Caiaphas. And he really struggled within his humanity. He said, Father, I really do not want to do this. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He did not want to do it. And he struggled so much that the Bible said that, that he sweat great drops of what? Blood. That is how much in agony Jesus was. He was fighting against that human nature that recoiled against sacrifice, that desired nothing to sacrifice but all about self and self-preservation and self-love. That's what we normally are. That's why we have to be filled with the love of Christ. And that's what Jesus was filled with, as heaven-born love for you and for me and yet even then we see the love that he had for us and yet he still struggled but yet he put himself in the in the father's will to say not my will but your will be done and it would be there that god would send his angels to help Jesus and to strengthen him. And friends, when we are on that precipice of whether we should or not, and whether we're struggling, sometimes when we're like this, we feel this way, we think, oh man, I'm such a bad human being. Maybe I don't love God. No, friends. The fact that we are struggling is a testament that the love of God is building up in our hearts. Why? Because before that, there was no struggle. We just had no desire to do right. We had all this bent towards evil and to sin to live for self and benefit self and I want to live a good life and I want to retire early. I want to enjoy this world. I want to, you know. But when the love of God comes in, it makes us struggle and sometimes we feel so bad. It's like, if I'm filled with the love of God, if God is with me, why do I feel this way? But friends, it is not a bad feeling to have. Jesus even felt that way as well. That is self-sacrificing love. Yes, at the very end, it's found in doing good. And you know, friends, when we pray in God, give me your Holy Spirit. God, please, I really don't want to do this, but your will be done, not mine. God will send his angels to strengthen you, to do right, to be good, to be better, to live beyond self. And you know, friends, I say this because many times when we're struggling to do these good things, we find it not within ourselves and we struggle and we feel so bad and difficult. Why should the Christian life be so so difficult? But it's actually a good thing. Many of us, we, we feel like, oh, I don't feel happy to go to church. I'm not going to go. And we just don't even try to struggle. We don't fight. We don't, we don't ask God to help us. Or if we have thoughts of, oh, I want to leave the prison or the hospital as soon as possible. I hate being here. And You know, these thoughts are normal, friends. But the fact is, if we ask God to help us, He will, surely, and He'll strengthen us, and He'll fight the battle for us. He will pour out even more love and grace into our hearts. And I just wanted to show you, friends, it's normal 
to have these feelings. It's human. Even Jesus struggled with these feelings. God, I do not want to do it. But help me. Not my will, but thine will be done. Don't think that just because you're reading the Bible and you're praying for the Holy Spirit and you're spending time with Jesus outside of just church hours that there won't be a struggle. No, there will be a struggle, friends. There will. The works will not come automatically. We've got to struggle. We've got to put effort in. But God is the one that strengthens us and helps us to do it, friends. And so if you find yourself in that situation, don't think you're some horrible human being. No, friends. God is surely working in your heart. And He's slowly but surely changing our human nature, taking away the heart of stone out of us and giving us a heart of flesh, one that is soft and susceptible and open to the influences of the Holy Spirit and willing to do what God says, even though it goes against the grain of our own life. You know, what is sacrifice then? You really have to sit there and consider it and think about it and struggle with it. It's like coming to church early. you got to get up early and help set up the chairs at church, right? It's a struggle. Usually Saturday mornings, Sabbath mornings should be my sleep-in time, but now it's become the earliest day of the week. That's a sacrifice, friends. That's what sacrifice is. Have you ever thought to take annual leave to serve God? That's sacrifice. Many students, we skip school and we skip classes and, and for many different reasons, mostly for leisure and pleasure, for ourselves. But when's the last time you skip class to serve God? That is sacrifice. Too often, when the, when the call to serve and to sacrifice comes around in the church, and we, we give genuine reasons, I'm busy, I'm working, I'm studying, I've got an exam. But you struggle with it. Is that sacrifice or not? Well, true sacrifice is something that we really struggle with. We need to think about it. We've got to pray about it. We've got to plan so meticulously. And struggling, it doesn't mean you're wrong, friends. It means you're human. It means you're going against your own human, selfish desires. You know, to, us, to many of us, tithe and offering is not a sacrifice anymore. We don't think twice about it anymore. But then it's time to up that percentage, right? How about 10% tithe? 10% offering. If that's automatic, how about 10% tithe, 15% offering? If you have to sit there and pause and think and think and think about it, that's sacrifice. The sheep in the parable, they're denying self and letting the love of God work in and through them, producing works of a self-sacrificial nature. Friends, there is no true commitment without sacrifice. Our commitment to Christ, it will also involve a cross. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. But that sacrifice can only be born by the love of God dwelling in our hearts. That is true sacrifice. That is true commitment. They really love God with all their hearts. And friends, today, God is not looking for us simply to just be busy with good works. He wants our hearts to be filled full with the love of God. And when, when we are filled with His Spirit, He will give us that burden for souls. He'll give us a desire to be a better person. He will instill all the good things of heaven in our hearts. 
and we will begin to change the way we think, how we organize and prioritize our time. He will give us a different purpose and a different motive and a different desire in our lives. So what do we have to do though, friends? If we're not where we need to be today, if we realize, God, I've just been living so much for myself, don't think that all hope is lost. Let's begin to pray. This simple prayer again, God, please give me your spirit. He's promised it in Luke eleven thirteen. If we ask, he is more than willing. He's just waiting. Ben, are you going to pray and ask for the Holy Spirit? Ben, are you? I'm waiting. I'm waiting to give you my spirit. All you need to do is ask. All you need to do is ask. But friends, let's keep praying until something happens. Until God answers our prayers. Let's not stop praying when our lamps are full. Let's keep praying until our vessels are full and filled with the Holy Spirit. We need that extra oil today because we don't know what sort of crisis is coming ahead. We don't know what we will need to endure. We don't know how far we need to prepare. So let's just keep praying. Because I know that if Christ is in our hearts, if the Holy Spirit has filled us fully and entirely and we are saturated with all the fullness of God, that we can be ready for any crisis. Through Christ, we can do all things. Through Christ, we can be more than conquerors. Let us be filled with His goodness and His love today. That truly, Christ may inspire us to live the life of Christ on earth today. And so when Jesus comes back for a second time and He looks down on earth, He's looking for people that look exactly like Him, that bear His character, that bear His passion for souls, His love for humanity and love for Him. Friends, may we be found praying evermore when Jesus comes for a second time. For truly, we want that faith that can move mountains, but it's got to move that stony heart out first to make room for the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father in heaven, oh Lord, please forgive me because it's so easy to preach, but yet I fall so far of your goodness and your glory so many times. I don't have your love as I ought to. Lord, please fill us all again with the love of God that comes through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Lord, please help us to be more like Jesus. Give us his love, his joy, his peace, his passion for souls and the love for all our brothers and sisters all around us. For, for there are so many people that are hurting and they're in need, Lord. Please help us that we might be that blessing. Guide us to that end that truly our works might reveal the self-sacrificing love and passion that we have because that's your passion, Lord. That's your love. So Lord, fill us again. We cannot get enough of it. We need more of it every day. Every day, Lord, help us to ask that we might have a different motive and a purpose for living this life that you've given to us. We won't live it for self, Lord, but that we'd learn to live it for others. So bless us to that end, Lord. May you pour out your Holy Spirit and form the latter rain upon us. Prepare us for these times, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, 
or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.